Well, this is lesson number one on the mouth, and we kick this thing off calling it the allegory of a powerful tool. And I, I was kind of meditating on why, I wrote this, when did I write this? I wrote this curriculum last year, and I was thinking, why didn't I call it words? Uh, and then it dawned on me, well, because we cover more than just words, we talk about the mouth and that it's how you release authority, it's how you control things, it's how you dominate things. It's not just the words, period, but everything we accomplish with our mouth. So it's a lot broader than just talking about life and death is in the power of the tongue. It's a lot more than just words themselves, but the power and the things we must accomplish with our mouth. And so we're going to jump into this because this is uh, four pages long, and these are just all the different allegories or the different images the Bible uses to describe our mouth. And in doing that, we can understand that every word that we speak does have value and weight to it. Sometimes we wish it was weightier and more valuable, the things we say. And then other times I think we're thankful that our words are pretty cheap because we talk so much and we're glad it doesn't happen. But one of the things the Lord ministered to us Friday night, if you were here at corporate prayer, was that our, our words are valuable. And I may have to start teaching it in services too. We can devalue our words or we can reclaim the value of them. And if your, word, if your word's worth only a penny and there's something you need that's a million dollars, you're going to be speaking a lot to get it. But if we could reclaim the value of our words and let our yes be yes and our no, no, then if, if something that we needed to happen in our life was worth a million bucks, but our words were worth a thousand dollars a piece, it'd take a lot less praying and confessing and declaring to get it to come to pass. And so we've got to be mindful of that. In the abundance of anything, it loses its value. But in the rarity and the scarcity of something, that's what makes things valuable. Whether it's a comic book, if there's a million comic books, that comic book is worth nothing. If there's only three of those comic books left, it makes them priceless. Uh, same with money. We took our money off the gold standard years ago. Our money is just arbitrary now. Not even worth the copper it's printed out of. Amen. Our words are the same way, so we have to be very careful with our mouth. And hopefully, by, by the time we're done with this lesson this month, we'll appreciate it and understand our mouth even more and be even more mindful and cautious with what we're saying and what we're doing. And at the very least, we're, we're just thinking twice before we say something. We, words abound, and sometimes we just we have runny tummy of the mouth, and it just never stops. So look at Proverbs 18.21. Very familiar verse, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Notice it tells us the tongue does have power. They that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. They that love what? Death or life. Whatever you love, you speak and you can have it. We're, we're, we're funny people, humans, not just Americans, but humans. We declare the very thing we don't want. And we talk more about what we're afraid of to magnify it than we do the very thing we claim we want. The very thing we claim will bring us peace. Whatever you talk about, you magnify, and whatever you magnify gets bigger. Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Now, we've taught that one a little bit here lately. Everything we say, every idle word, that means something, a word that doesn't accomplish anything. But by that alone, it lets us know the Lord's expecting us to accomplish stuff with the words we speak. How much of our chatter, though, is just useless, idle chatter, not really accomplishing anything, not communicating anything, not encouraging anything. But I want you to see from this verse, we are going to give an account of every word. Our words are a stewardship, the ofs, the is, the buts, 
the ands, we're going to give an account of it. That alone helps us to maybe be a little bit more mindful of what we say and how we say it. We, we ought to be thinking a little bit more before we speak. James 3, 2 in the NIV says, we all stumble in many ways. James was even speaking for himself there. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Notice there it also lets us know that we can control our body by the words that we speak. He's also, he's not letting us off the hook, but he's just letting us know how difficult this thing is going to be. We all offend in many things, and words are foremost. About the only way, that may be why those, those um, ascetic monks of the 4th, 5th through the 15th century, maybe why they took vows of silence, because they said, man, my mouth just gets me in trouble. I'm just not going to talk to anybody. And then they went off and disobeyed God and lived in a hermitage somewhere in some monastery doing what? Nothing except copying manuscripts and waiting for the Saracens to come and cut their heads off. Didn't accomplish much, but at least they didn't offend anybody in their words. But the Muslims still killed them. <laughs> These three verses alone warrant an in-depth study of the human mouth. Its power its potential, its stewardship, and its dangers. Tools can be used to create or destroy. You know, if you've got tools, you've got tools that both create and destroy. Jackhammers are not a creative tool. They are a destructive tool. Dynamite creates nothing but a bunch of hurrah by rednecks, and it destroys everything else. On the other hand, you have things like hammers that create, drills create. You know, uh, there's tools, and if you don't use them properly, you'll destroy things. Amen. There are even times when destruction is good and creation is evil. The Bible says uh, the wicked, they, they create wicked things in their heart. They're wicked imaginations, wicked inventions, the book of Proverbs condemns. This lesson will look at numerous allegories the Bible uses to describe the creative and destructive force of our mouths. So there's a bunch of them here. Some of them we'll be familiar with. Some of them you may not be familiar with. So we're going to just jump into it because there's a lot to cover. A ship's rudder, our mouth is likened to a ship's rudder. James 3, 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm. Think about that picture. You have these great big ships, sail ships, with, uh, with you know, 15 and 20 and 40 masts or, or, or sails on them. And the winds are gale force winds. And those guys can do 40 and 50 miles an hour. And yet how do you turn them? With the little bitty helm and a little bitty rudder. Or even in modern things, you think about an aircraft carrier. How big is an aircraft carrier? How much does one of those weigh? You put nuclear reactors in the hull of an aircraft carrier. And you got the mighty striking force of the U.S. Air Force on the deck and in the guts of the aircraft carrier. And yet, how do you turn one of those around? With little bitty helms, little bitty rudders. Relatively speaking, now you know they're about the size of this building, but relatively speaking, they're little bitty. They're very tall, several stories tall. But compared to everything else, they're nothing. And that's our mouth. It doesn't matter where your mouth is or your life has gotten you messed up. You can change direction just by speaking. Or you can steer yourself into even more hurt by saying what you're already seeing. We really, the Bible says we walk by faith, not sight. Uh, And it's amazing that uh, whatever our heart is seeing is what we're talking about. We talk more about what we're already seeing than what we claim we want. Now, this is just basic faith teaching, but we always need to rehash on this thing. 
Our mouths are to be used to steer our lives in the right direction, regardless of any wind or opposition or trouble blowing against us. If you're going, again, back to the sail ship, if the wind is blowing you or something's going the direction contrary to you, you're going to have to hold your confession, turn that wheel to the confession you want and hold it there. And you'll feel it fight against you. And you have to continue to speak the word and confess it. And speak the word and confess it. And speak the word and confess it. This is what honestly sets uh, victorious Christians apart from just Sunday morning Christians. Or Christians who just rest in what they call the sovereignty of God. I believe in the sovereignty of God. But uh, a lot of Christians, because they, they lack the understanding on the authority they have as a believer, what they call the sovereignty of God, they just really, what they really mean is case sirrah, sirrah. Whatever will be, will be. Or as the Muslims say, Ishallah, whatever the will of Allah is. Which is really just, I'm floating down the lazy river of life and whatever life hands me is must be the will of God. That's not what we believe. That's not what the Bible teaches. We can have what we say. We're to speak to mountains. We're to speak to sycamine trees. We're to speak to our emotions. We're to bring into captivity. We have a lot of authority. And it's all manifested and, and, and controlled and delegated from our mouth. But the first place we start, not with mountains or sycamine trees, is with our mind and our emotions and the little realm we touch around us. Amen. It's, it's kind of a cheap allegory or analogy. Uh, we're reading one of the many Navy SEALs books. This one Navy SEAL said he learned to overcome fear. He had a fear height, so they took him rock climbing. And he said he learned to overcome fear by what this rock climber he said this guy was like Spider-Man. He was climbing up and down while these Navy SEALs are learning to rock climb. This guy, they're one of their guys, he's up and down the rock without rope. Like he said, like a spider. And he said, I'm sitting here trembling. He said, I'm a, 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 I've killed thousands of people and I'm trembling because I'm afraid of heights. And he said, this guy's smoking a cigarette, flips sideways on this rock. He says, look, dude, to the Navy SEAL, look, dude, all you can control is three feet around you. If it's beyond three feet, don't worry about it. Just worry about the three feet around you. And he said that helped this Navy SEAL to totally beat fear the rest of his life. If it's beyond three feet, I can do nothing about it. So why do I worry? Amen. All right. A bit and bridle. James 3, 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us. And we turn about their whole body. Again, such a little bitty piece of metal. If you've ever played with horses or done horses or, you know, I grew up in Louisiana, so we had horses and I'm pretty good on a horse that that bridle the bit goes in the back of his mouth and that's his break I mean if you were to put a pencil in the back of your mouth and push back you'd go backwards too and then of course you have the reins that are attached to the the the, the bit and the bridle goes on the face and so you steer it left or right you by putting pressure on the back of that horse's mouth huge horse thoroughbred you know run 30 miles an hour fearlessly into, into battle and here you're just along for the ride yet you can control that beast if the horse is trained, you can control the beast with really just this right here, just your wrist, all because of what's attached. Again, the Bible says our mouth is like a bit and a bridle in a horse's mouth. So much power, so much force, so much ability, yet controlled with such a little bitty piece of metal. That's our tongue. If you don't get a hold of your mouth, your life will go any way the devil wills it. You'll be tossed about by the winds of this region. You'll be tossed about by the winds of your job. Uh, every place you go has its own different wind, its own different current. 
And if you don't speak the word and declare how it's going to be everywhere you go, you'll be tossed about with the winds of doctrine where you live, your apartment complex, the, 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 the culture you live in, the society you live in, the shopping center you're at. You've got to realize that you have dominion. And everywhere you go, you exercise your dominion by declaring how it will be, and that's how it will be. You go into a bad part of town, you say, no evil shall befall me. You know, you get on an airplane and you say, we live and we don't die. Mr. Bill just told me, he said uh, he and his coworkers there at the factory, they've started praying. Now they've got 12 folks praying. He said, we're changing the atmosphere of, of our department. I think that's, that is awesome, Mr. Bill. Just by speaking the word, by praying, they are exercising dominion and control. We Christians ought to be able to control everything. Not in a weird dictatorial way, but through the presence of God. As we were taught to pray, your will be done, your kingdom come. We're supposed to manifest kingdom everywhere we go. We do it with our mouth. So whatever you talk about is what you're manifesting. Talk about the kingdom, the kingdom shows up. Amen. Amen. Bits both steer and restrain horses. Our mouths should both steer and restrain our lives. Prayer will help us restrain ourselves and steer us into the will of God. Notice your mouth will both help steer and restrain you. Say, get up, flesh. We're not laying around anymore. Why are you cast down, oh, my soul? Hope in God. Get up. This is also why religions, religious demons hate so much for us to teach that prayer can never be silent. That hurts religious people so bad. They hate that. That religious demon doesn't care if Christians go to church. But the second you start trying to teach them that prayer must be audible, Prayer is in the original Greek and Hebrew language is an oration. Boy, folks will fight you tooth and toenail. Well, the Lord hears my heart. Don't make that argument with God because he searches the hearts and rebukes you over what he finds there. That's why David had to say, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable unto thee. Now, the devil fights the spoken prayer because it's us releasing power. It's like a flashlight. The devil doesn't care if you got a flashlight. Just don't turn it on. Your prayer and your spoken words is clicking that thing on. All this potential light on the inside of you. It's like opening up the doors of a blast furnace. We don't care if you got heat in there. Just don't open it up. So we've got to be using our mouth. If our life is stagnant, it's because we are not using our mouth to declare and, and dictate things in our own life. Proclaim them. Decree them. If in God doesn't want any of us to be stagnant. God wants us all to be taking more land, more territory, more victory over our mind, our will, our emotions through the words of our mouth. We forgive through the words of our mouth. We win the loss through the words of our mouth. We cast out demons through the words of our mouth. We speak to mountains. We speak to sycamine trees. This is all gospel. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father, how do you get around that, who art in heaven? Yeah, amen. amen. Here's a flame. Our mouth is like a flame, Jeremiah 5.14. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, because you speak this word. Notice speak, not think. Behold, I will make my words in your mouth fire, and I will make this people wood, and my word shall devour them. So here we see the mouth is like a flame. It's a fire. This is in a positive sense, whereas James talks about it being in a negative sense. 2 Samuel 22, 9 and Psalm 18, 8. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth and devoured. Coals were kindled by it. Notice our mouth can kindle the coals of lukewarm Christians. 
Christians whose flame has gone extinct or who are just smoldering. You know, when, when you make a campfire, if there's coals there, you can gather them together, just the charcoal. And if you get a little bit of fire going, you can reignite that charcoal. You and I are to use our mouth to encourage and exhort people around us and let our mouth be like a flamethrower. Uh, there was a couple, about two or three years ago, we had some of our pastor friends with us and, and uh, I called them up to lay hands on them. And I said, everybody just pray in tongues. And so we laid hands on this pastor couple. It was the Hudgens there from uh, East Tennessee, Tri-Cities. And one of, one of the ladies in the church came up to me after service. She said, Pastor, when we were praying for them, I, I had a vision. I said, all right, what did you see? She said, I looked around and I saw fire coming out of everybody's mouths and setting upon that black couple we prayed for. And I said, praise God. You know, we, you know, I just said pray in tongues for them. And I think everybody else just said, well, Pastor said pray in tongues for them, so we're just going to pray in tongues for them. I guarantee you nobody felt hot coming out of their mouth. <laughs> they just did what the pastor said, and I said to do it because it's biblical, and, and yet this girl, this young lady had a vision that fire was coming out of everybody's mouth while we were praying and resting upon the Hudgens, and she said, and I saw them uh, be refueled and strengthened and grow brighter. Praise God. It makes you, when you hear these stories, like, I really need to be talking more and talking less at the same time, talking more what I need to and talking less what I don't need to. <laughs> James 3, 6 says, and the tongue is a fire. Here it says in the negative sense, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles the whole body. Ouch. And it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Uh, one translation says you can burn your life down with your mouth. And that's, uh, that's a powerful way of saying it. If you and I aren't careful, we can use our mouth to burn our life to the ground. Or we can use our mouth to purge our life like a, a cleaning, cleansing fire, like a furnace. Our mouths are a flamethrower. The question to be asked is, what are we burning with it? Will we use our mouths to burn sin and wickedness up? Do we use it to burn our brother or sister in Christ? Do we use it to set people on fire for God? Or are we burning down our lives? So it's up to us. You know, If you're one given over to the mopey, feel sorry, pity party, you're probably burning your life to the ground. Nobody likes me. It's so hard here. You can have what you say. Num num, eat it up. <laughs> yeah, nobody likes you because you're, you're belly aching all the time. Ah, oh, it's just so difficult here. I'm an outsider. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants to hire me. They're going to lay me off at the factory. Or I can't ever get into college. Whatever the thing is. Wait, there's no faith in that. Joshua and Caleb said, we're well able. Let's go up at once. You know, they had zero attack plan. They just know God said it's yours. That God's going to have to give us an attack plan or, or he's a liar. But we know God, what God said. We, our lives, our marriages are defined by what we say. Our kids are a product of what we say. Our, our job, our career is a product of what we say. And so we really have to watch it. Venomous. Romans 3.13, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. This comes back to gossip and slander. Guile, just misleading and manipulating. Uh, you, you know, uh, we, gotta, we talked about that last Sunday. But here the Bible says if we're not careful, the venom of asps is under our tongue. And the problem with those snakes, and Dr. Barclay points this teaching out, when a snake strikes, it's just a split second, and then it slithers away, and the venom's injected, and it begins to do its work, and it can paralyze if it's a neurotoxin or 
uh, you know, or it can just begin to break down tissue. Uh, it's either going to paralyze or it's going to totally kill. And yet the snake is on its way. You and I have the ability to be that way, and it's wicked. We have the ability to slander somebody and just, you know, Facebook is really good for it now. Just strike out there on Facebook and we go about our own little carnal, selfish way and don't realize the, the months of destruction we just wreaked in somebody's life by one little slanderous feeding frenzy. It's carnal. And it's just so immature. But we shouldn't be that way. We're, we're not designed to have fangs. Remember, there's a, there's a serpent and we're not him. We're of our father in heaven, not of our father, the devil. Wicked people is, wicked speech is likened unto venom. Some venom paralyzes its victims, uh, while other venom necrotizes the victim. That means to rot the flesh and kill it. Venom is never, ever good. And there's no positive use of venom. In fact, we have to come up with antivenom to save folks who've been poisoned by venom. I would tell every one of you here, do not fellowship with venomous people. And this is especially for ladies. Women are some of the biggest, you know, big mouths. Women tend to slander and gossip more than men. Men just don't talk as much. Men are guilty of it, but not to the degree that women tend to be. So especially you ladies, I would cut off any slanderous, gossiping, wicked person. I mean, we don't handle snakes because that's stupid. And yet some churches are snake handling churches. Because they'll tolerate their carnal believers loosely in their hands. And the preacher never knows when he's going to be bit next. Amen. That's pretty good preaching right there. I just came up with that. I just saw that. Because they want a big church, they'll, they'll tolerate a bunch of slanderous Christians. That's a bunch of snake-handling preachers right there. We don't tolerate that junk here. A threshing sledge. We got a whole CD on the threshing sledge. Isaiah 41.15 says, Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument. Uh, that's a sledge or a sled. Sledge is an old English term for a sled like Santa's sled. That's you know, called a sledge. Not a sledgehammer, but a, a sleigh. A threshing sleigh having teeth. That word is also in the Hebrew swords. So think about a sleigh covered in swords. We had the picture of it we could throw up, but we're not ready for that. Thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small and shall make the hills as chaff. Now this was... Um, this was an instrument used to plow or thresh whole fields at a time, and we had a picture of it. They still use them kind of, and it looks like a true sleigh, but they have teeth on the bottom of them, rocks. Some of them have actually, some of them are, are you know, 2,000-year-old combines that have teeth that are corkscrewed, and they would break up and separate uh, the chaff from the wheat by, pulled, by, by being pulled behind a, a horse or an ox. But the Lord says, I'm giving you one of these and it has teeth. That's your mouth. And he says, with this, you'll thresh the mountains. You'll beat them small. You'll make the hills as chaff. So the threshing sledge is a massive instrument pulled behind cattle to thresh acres of crops, separating the good from the bad. Our mouths are a supernatural tool given to crush the mountains of sin and waste in our lives. How was the last time we rebuked ourselves? Everybody likes giving everybody a piece of their mind but themselves. Your biggest enemy, you got to realize, is you. Shut up, man. What are you doing? What are you thinking? My big confession here lately is shut up. That is carnal. As I'm pushing the buggy through Walmart. Shut up. What am I thinking? <laughs> I don't, I don't, I used to just say shut up. Now I just call it what it is. That's carnal thinking. You know, whether it's my thought or a fiery dart, it doesn't matter. We all have about a thousand carnal thoughts a day. You know, whether it's I'm going to get back at them or I'm going to give them a piece. Shut up. That's carnal. Whatever your carnal thing is. 
When's the last time you gave yourself a piece of your mind? <laughs> right? You got to tell yourself to shut up from time to time. Amen. We always want to tell everybody else to shut up, but probably the problem's us. A sword. Here's a common one. We understand this. Isaiah 49, 2. He hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hath hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. Revelation 2, 16. The Lord said, Repent or else I will come unto you quickly and I will fight against them in your church with the sword of my mouth. Uh, now, we, we understand this one. We've heard this taught a lot. But our mouth, our tongue is a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword, just, it, it's, it means there's not just one side that's edged, but the other side is edged. A samurai sword is a one-edged blade. And then you have all the medieval swords are two-edged. They cut both sides. I would rather have a single-edged sword because it's, you don't cut yourself as easily. A two-edged sword, if you're not careful and you swing it around, you can cut yourself. That shows us the power of our tongue. We can help or we can hurt with the same thing. And also, when it comes to the allegory of swords, you got to be skilled. It's not enough to have one on a shelf. You go to pe people love to display the samurai swords because they're so pretty, and they got the lacquered scabbards, and they have the ornate little stands. But most folks that have those in their office don't have a clue what to do with one. My uncle has one that his his father brought back from World War II, and I play with it every time I go to his house because it's an officer's samurai sword commissioned and. Uh, and, and distributed in World War II. And I know how to take the thing apart because I did all that stuff. But my uncle, he's a golfer. And I think this beautiful World War II officer's samurai katana is wasted above your golf awards. You need to give it to me. Because I'll at least put it in a closet and know what it is. We have our tongue, don't even know how to use it. I mean, really, you know, you think a kid, kids love to play with sticks and swords, but you give them a real sword, they'll hack their friends to death and not even, what happened? <laughs> Where'd you let go? Why are you hopping? That's how our mouth is until we learn how to harness it and use it. That's one of the reasons we come to church, so we learn that you can't just swing a sword any way you want to. You have to learn how to use your mouth. Uh, you know, because Japanese swords are the only thing I know much about. A Japanese sword is... is it's approximately a meter and a half long, but only the end third of it is sharpened. So the bottom two-thirds is not sharpened at all. And that's for all sorts of techniques. So you could technically take the base of that sword to somebody's neck really hard and just scare the fire out of them. Or you can step back two feet and take their head clean off. <laughs> you have to know the sword you're using. Because every different type of sword there is out there has a different fighting technique. Your mouth, you got to learn how to use it. And the thing is, we get to use it 18 hours a day, all of our waking hours. So we should be better at it than we are. And if you think you walked around with a sword all day long like they did in medieval times or samurai times, you, it was an extension of you. How much more is our mouth an extension of us? And we still, we just walk through like the market just swinging. I mean, almost like we have Tourette's or autism or spasticness with swords. We're like walking blenders. And every once in a while, we make a juicy or a smoothie or something like, oh, that really blessed myself. The rest of the time, we wonder why our lives falling apart. <laughs> Amen. You know, it's almost like, you know, lawnmower decks. I'm going to tell a cat story here just to upset some people. Lawnmower decks are swords underneath there. And when you know how to use them, you can properly use them. You don't want to be like Steve Wolf's grandfather, who to eliminate the cat population, turned over the side of the bush hog and just threw cats into the bush hog. 
That's how you population control when you're a farmer in Indiana. <laughs> Nine lives, zero. <laughs> Nine lives, zero. Ninety-seven, six, four, zero, one, zero. Yeah. At 3,000 RPMs. <laughs> Swords can be used defensively or offensively. They can be used to intimidate and warn, or they can be used as a farm tool. They can also kill and maim the innocent. A sword can cut a gangrenous growth out or cut a head off. We must be highly skilled with the sword of our mouth. And to that degree, I might even say we must be willing to pull the sword out from time to time and cut sin out of our marriage, cut sin off of our kids. We, sometimes we've been dealing with men on this. You've got to be willing to pull that sword out and defend your home. Too many men just want to sit in the lazy boy with the sword over the, the shelf. That's, that's, that's unnecessary. That's, uh, that's irresponsible. The wife and the children are looking for dad to be the one that grabs the sword and runs out to the front porch when he hears a noise coming at his family. Why is the woman the one that always has to grab the sword? It's because the man is a coward. And he's not done his job. Oh, he can tell you all the information there is about the swords and how they made it and folded it and made it out of Damascus steel and what temperature it was heated at and what the scabbards made out of and how long it took to develop. Yeah, blah, 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 blah. But if, man, if you don't get it and protect your house and your children and your family, you're a coward. And T Timothy says you're worse than an infidel and you have denied the faith. And that's pretty hard preaching, but that's what Timothy says. If you don't provide for your own, and in this case, protection with your mouth and say, devil, get your hand off my family. Let go of my kid. Let go of my wife. You let go of our finances. I rebuke the spirit of infirmity off of my family. You're a coward. And Timothy says, you're worse than an infidel. You've denied the faith of Jesus Christ. That's what Timothy said. Husbands, daddies, your job is to take that sword and spend every day learning how to use it so your family benefits by being in your household. That ought to be a benefit to having the Scudder name. That ought to be a benefit to being a Barker or a Harris or a Murdoch or a Vincent or a Baldwin or a Dingwall or a Keith or a Weaver, a Hutchinson or a Wilder. There ought to be a benefit. We come from a long line of crazy sword fighters. <laughs> I mean, don't you know, kids, my daddy's a ninja. <laughs> Amen. A scourge. Here's a negative side. Job 5.21, thou shalt be hid from the scourge of the tongue or the whip. As some wives are really good at scourging their families. Boy, they just nag, 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 nag. Apparently it's so bad, God says, I'll do you a favor, son. I'll hide you from it. The whip, a scourge is a whip. Neither shalt thou be afraid of destruction when it comes. A whip can be used to keep lions back or it can be used to punish and even torture. Whips require a tremendous amount of skill to be useful. Well, I think we've seen movies or demonstrations where they can take that whip and they can knock candles out or they can grab stuff with it. Indiana Jones was a master of the whip. He could swing away from the Mayan, Aztec, and Indians and steal their gold idols, what have you. But at the same time, you can use it to hurt yourself. We had a whip growing up and, you know, you could always easily whip yourself with it. You don't know how you, you sent it out, but somehow you slapped yourself with it. <laughs> Sounds like our own tongue sometimes. When you send that thing out, it comes back and cuts us somehow. So very few positive uses for a whip, but there are a few. But most of the time we use it to berate somebody, to torture somebody, to nag somebody. We have to be careful that we are, we're doing what we ought to with our tongue. Amen. A door. 
gosh, our, our mouth is like a door? That's what the Bible says, Psalm 141.3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. That'd be a good verse that kind of blankets all of this. Lord, help me to, to put a watch over my own mouth. The door of my mouth, let may, may nothing leave it that hurts my life. May only good things leave my mouth that'll benefit my life. The mouth has a door. We should know when to open it and when to close it, right? Yeah, shut your mouth. It's like shut the door. The mouth itself can open and close the doors of life. We should be knowledgeable in that area as well. You know how to open the doors of your mouth. Know when to close it. Know when you should speak. Know when to hold your peace. Some people are so opinionated, <laughs> they, they have to, they just, their, their mouth is like an open door constantly. And everywhere they go, they just got to give everybody a piece of their mind. And so I've learned this by pastoring. If your opinion isn't blessing your life, why do I want it? If your opinion isn't blessing your life or propelling your life, why would I want to believe your opinion? Why are you sharing it? It's not a beneficial opinion. That doesn't mean every once in a while a knucklehead might have something worth saying. But the way they fly through life is like a gaping mouth catching nothing but flies. So you've got to know when to shut your mouth. Proverbs says uh, a fool appears wise when he keeps his mouth shut. There's a, a secular proverb that says, better to let people assume you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> so know when to close your mouth. Know when to open it. Sometimes you just sit there and wait till somebody asks you a question. And Americans can be very overbearing with their opinion and force themselves upon people. And that's, that's just rude. That's just poor manners. Just to always want to bark into some place or barge into some place and open your mouth. You weren't invited. Why are you even here? Amen. It's not even good, it's not even good manners. A garden. Proverbs 18.20. We got a couple more of these, so you guys are doing well to pay attention here. Hopefully some of these are helping you or speaking to you where you're at this morning. Proverbs 18.20, a man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips shall he be filled. So this is already telling us our mouth is like a garden. Hebrews 13.15, by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continue. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Your mouth, it should always be producing fruit. Vegetables, if you want to call it vegetables or whatever your favorite thing is. But your mouth ought to always be sowing, gardening, cultivating, watering, and reaping. Your mouth ought to always be helping your life to produce fruit. And as it says in Proverbs, you'll be satisfied with the fruit of your mouth. Your life, my life, is a result of what we do and don't say. Our marriage is a result of what we do and don't say. Our kids are a result of what we do and don't say. Our favor in life, the, the, our, our career, our promotion level is a result of what we do and don't pray or say with our mouth. We are where we are this morning based on our mouth. It's that simple. So if you don't like where you're at or you do, you got to adjust what you're saying. If you like where you're at, keep saying it. If you don't like where you're at, don't complain. Start changing what, you, what you're declaring. It's not voodoo. It's Bible. It's biblical, man. Well, I mean... This is called a thorough topical study. We are beating this dead horse quite thoroughly, showing you everything God says about our mouth. Our mouths are gardens producing whatever we choose. Notice you produce what you choose. The only problem with the garden is that fruit is never an overnight process. The fruit of the mouth takes patience. 
So you got to be careful. A snare, Proverbs 6, 2 in the NIV says, you've been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth. <laughs> our mouths can trap us in bad situations and commitments, or they can bind us to our own word and make us men and women of integrity. The choice is yours. Amen. Don't let your mouth be snared. Uh, King James says, you're ensnared by the words of your lips. A well of life, Proverbs 10, 11 says, the mouth of the righteous is a well of life. But violence covers the mouth of the wicked. Notice there that you can continually draw out life out of your mouth or uh, you can cover your face with violence and wickedness. A well can water and refresh people, even saving some people from death. However, drawing water out of a well takes work. Let's hope the well hasn't been poisoned. I mean, the old-fashioned, even modern wells take a serious pump house, which takes energy, which takes maintenance. So even to get water out of a modern aquifer, you have to have a lot of energy put into it. And even if it's a powerful pump, to draw down from two or 3,000 feet takes a little bit of time to get it down from there all the way up and then pump it to your house. Either way, all these things show that this process takes time. If our life stinks in some area, don't be discouraged if you can't turn it around overnight. Wherever you and I are at this morning, we didn't get here overnight, and we're not changing it overnight. Amen. A rod... Proverbs 14.3 says, In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Isaiah 11.4 says, But with, the righteous, with righteousness shall he judge the poor and remove with equity for, uh, for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Notice that your mouth, can you, that's, that speaks of a corrective tool, a rod of correction. How do we correct our children? Verbally at first, and then if we have to, we spank them. How does your boss correct you? With his mouth. This also lets us know we have the authority and we ought to be correcting things in our life. First and foremost, our thinking, our appetites, our habits. If you can't master yourself, you're not qualified to master anybody else. I wouldn't go work and submit to a personal trainer if they were 500 pounds overweight, smoking cigarettes and on oxygen. It's <laughs> like... Uh, no. I'm giving discounts. No. No, no. This ain't happening. If you can't correct and discipline yourself, what makes you think you're an authority? It's foolish. So again, we, we first correct ourselves. We first correct our emotions. We first correct our thoughts. We first correct our flesh. As even they said of the, of the Lord Jesus, oh, physician, heal yourself. It's amazing. We've got everybody else's answer while our life falls apart. The world calls it the Monday morning quarterback. It's like, all right, buddy, let's see how well you do with 7,000 pounds of football player running at you while you're trying to find somebody who's got an open position or at least a shot at catching the ball if you can even throw it that far. And you just want to sit Monday morning at the water cooler and critique them. The mouth is likened unto a rod used for leading, ordering, and correcting. The mouth is used to call the shots and give orders. Foolish people do it arrogantly. Let me, let me also say this. this. This rod has to be earned. If you're going to ever be entrusted with the rod beyond your little circle of life, your little three feet, you've got to be authorized. This is like I don't let people come in here to this church and steer my church. You've got to earn that. We've had mostly in my, my eight years of pastoring, it's always been women want to come steer this church. Seriously. And actually, now to come to think of it, they've all been single. 
I'm going through my, my, my Rolodex of all the Jezzies. All been single who want to try to steer this church. You can't control your thoughts. You can't control your emotions. You can't control your flesh. And you want to steer my church? Sorry, Jezzy. <laughs> you Jezby and you. You're not, it's not happening. So the rod of correction first begins in our life. The rod of correction first begins in our life. Control your thoughts. Speak to them. Shut up. That's carnal. Control your flesh. Control your emotions. And then watch the Lord promote you to use it in other areas. A deep pit. Proverbs twenty-two fourteen. The mouth of strange women. Oh, see, the Bible's so sexist and misogynistic. The mouth of a strange woman or strange women is a deep pit. He that is aboard of the Lord shall fall therein. So it's not good thing. The strange woman, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 2, she has despised the guide of her youth and the, God, the covenant of her God. So she's a backslidden Christian. She's a backslidden believer. But it says this strange woman, her mouth is a deep pit. Those that God hates fall into it. Lord, please don't hate me. <laughs> a pit can be used to hunt and trap game for food or it can be used to catch innocent life. Let us judge our mouths and make sure people don't fall into what we're saying to their own death. Liars love to set traps and pits, and they're always liars are wanting to catch people and fall into what they're saying. You fell for that? You fell for that? You fell for that con man? You fell for that con woman? You, you, you believe that? We got to be careful and say, Lord, deliver me from the deep pit of strange, not women, but people, people that have forsaken God. That's what the word strange there means as defined by Proverbs 2. They forsook the God of their of their covenant uh, and the guide of their youth. They walked away from serving God. These folks are wicked because they know Christianese, they know the Bible doctrines, and yet they still serve the devil. And they can weave the two in and out. And the, the ignorant, naive Christians are taken for it every time. And then a ready pen. We'll end on a positive note. Psalm 45, one says, My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You've always got something ready to say about God. Many people today are too ready to speak, but what do they have to say? Our tongue should be eager to speak concerning our king. Our tongue is a pen. What are we eager to write with it? Uh, you can get around folks and tell what's important to them by what they're always talking about. And wouldn't to God, hopefully 70, 80% of our speech is about God. Whether we're talking about the things of God or the kingdom's business or teaching our children how to honor Jesus or teaching our children about whatever or our conversations on the job, we're trying to salt it with the gospel. And hopefully it isn't 24-7 NASCAR, 24-7 politics, 24-7 hunting, 24-7 video games. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of that, but if that's what we're always talking about, that's what we're writing. Hopefully it's Jesus, 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 and, and then we sprinkle that with everything else, our hobbies, our likes, our frustrations. We are, what are we eager to write with it? We should be more than a carnal echo chamber for lies and sin. Unfortunately, today's Christians, if uh, things are changing, I think the church is waking up, but so many folks today, they've just become a carnal echo chamber of the lies and the sin they've heard on the radio or on Facebook or what have you. So hopefully we're not that way. May God help us glorify him with the use of our mouth. Your mouth is a stewardship, and it's the most valuable tool you've got. We can cut your hands and legs off. 
your arms and your legs, and you can still do something for God because you got a mouth. Amen. You can still change the world because you got a mouth. They can cut your tongue out, and you can still mumble something. The only way they can shut you up is by cutting your head off. But none of that's happened to us, so thank God we ought to be using the words of our mouth, formed by the words of our heart, to change. First and foremost, ourself to glorify Jesus Christ. And once you're changing yourself, that should be your biggest region of control, is changing yourself. Some folks, the, the controlling spirit that gets on so many people, it's because they hate themselves. Let me, let me pastor just for a second here. Some of us in this room right now, we're given to that attitude of control. You're given to the attitude of control because you're miserable. And so you think it's Dr. James's fault, so you want to control him. You think it's Greg Dingwall's fault, so you want to change him. You think it's the pastor's fault, so you want to change me. The reason you're miserable is you. So rather than being a control freak, trying to control everything, you should take the authority God's given you and first fix you. And when you're at peace with yourself, Dr. James don't bug you. Mr. Dingwall don't bug you. Pastor don't bug you. Because you don't bug you anymore. The spirit of control is all based out of self-misery. You're a control freak because you don't have a walk with God. That's a pretty blunt way of putting it, but I can't think of any more succinct way to do it in the time I've run out of anyway. Amen. Some people, they get their kicks and they get this sick little enjoyment out of controlling people. It's not healthy, it's not godly, it's wicked. So if we could let go and fix ourselves first, everything else smooths out pretty good. Father, I thank you for this Sunday school lesson. We thank you for this study now on the words of our mouth. Help us with our mouth. Help us to glorify you. Help us to exalt you. May we begin by changing our life and our mind and our heart and our flesh for your glory. And then as you see fit, Lord, and as we glorify you, promote us, Lord, and allow us to use our mouth as you trust us to do more things for your kingdom. Bless these folks, Lord. May this word never return to you void. In Jesus' name, amen.